What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mongols Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. I'm Mike. With me is Kevin Josh. Today, we're going to talk all about positional numbers, what they mean, examples of each, and why some teams play without certain numbers. Let's go! Everything was just falling into place. Bunky Azil cuts inside. With this one, the Lord is so Stephen Dos Santos from James and it's Mertz. Yes! yes! Guys, I feel like since the last time we talked, we had maybe the longest week ever. Um, how was your week slash weekend, Josh? How 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 are you holding up? Good. Yeah, I was a little tired. I uh, feel better now. So, <laughs> got some more sleep. All that all that sleep deprivation was worth it. Yeah. Cool. Kev, how are you feeling? Yeah, it was uh, really difficult to focus on anything last week. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah feel all right i mean this this is kind of a side story that i'm forcing forcing in here i i thought of the podcast community um there was i was on a meeting on friday or something and uh there was essentially just a poll like my manager asked for a poll in the chat like oh hit one if you want this or hit two if you want this and uh to no surprise who listens here i put uh 1.25 i was like well it kind of like <laughs> <laughs> and immediately after i put it and i saw everyone else doing one and two i was like ah, i have to i have to talk about this with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and she she was like kevin 1.25 what do you mean by <laughs> so yeah you're like ugh, wrong audience yeah <laughs> did you guys do anything fun this weekend Oh, man. I got nothing. Nothing? <laughs> I can't even remember what this weekend was at this point. It's all a blur. Um, yeah. We, uh, so Saturday was my wife's birthday, and uh, one of the things that we did was the boys had never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So oh, we nice. watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which they thought was amazing. And then we showed them the picture of Kevin dressed up as Ferris Bueller, and they got the joke, and they thought it was fantastic. So for those who haven't seen it, make sure you go check out last week's post where we posted the picture of Kevin and Riley and Toffer dressed up as Ferris Bueller. In the yeah, club. but you didn't even ask for that photo, right? You I did just, not. Like, stole I just took it. Off it. the internet. I totally yeah. took it. It's public domain, man. Instagram. Is it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I blame Riley. Riley said, yes, I can follow her. So I have access to her. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if we did anything. I Like I, I was telling you guys off air, I took off today because we had a whole bunch of projects to do. So there was like a lot of, because it's so nice out, there was a lot of like uh, cleaning the garage. I cut down a bunch of trees yesterday. Um I we're, we're taking a couch and turning it into like a crate, like a box, which is like a whole nother thing. I could talk about some other time. Um, too much stuff. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about soccer. So before we actually get into the numbers, one of the big news items that came out this week was that uh, Reno is folding. Um, essentially, you know, the team cited that uh, the reason for it was stadium-related, but Reno was, in fact, the team that had the most points in the USL Championship this year. So it's a bit disheartening. You know, our buddy Corey Herzog um, was sort of a standout for Reno. Disappointing just to see them close up shop. 
it was almost like there was really no warning. There, there were people who worked in the front office that basically said, like, they came in one day and the manager was like, it's, it's over. Um, guys, are you at all concerned that this is potentially a sign of things to come with the financial state of the USL considering what's going on with COVID? Like, Josh, do you think that this is just the first card to fall or do you think that this is just sort of a one-off? I think a lot of teams are waiting until they find out, you know, if what next year is going to hold for them. Um, in their statement, they did also bring up COVID. I'm rereading their statement, and they, they said, uh, today we find ourselves in a worldwide community beset by a pandemic, and we are uh, unexpectedly forced to make a tough decision. So they, they, they definitely, you know, didn't make any uh, qualms about also blaming the uh, COVID situation. So that's not surprising. But, yeah, I, I got a feeling we're going to find out. Uh, depending on what happens next season, you'll never know as far as the rest of the, the teams go. But, I, I don't know. It changes a little bit more towards the Hounds. How do we feel about that aspect of it? Like, I feel like the Hounds are one of the more secure teams. Uh, they have more diversity as far as, you know, with the, the owning the property, owning the parking lot, uh, owning a really – well oiled machine of a academy so i feel like we're priced in a pretty good sp- situation here yeah kev do you think that the hounds are okay yeah i mean but it's really hard to tell i mean uh, you know it's i think like josh said in previous podcasts i think and en- en- enough of you guys i was about to say enough of us i'm definitely not connected enough of you guys are connected where if there was potential rumblings happening maybe we'd hear something but no i mean as you know, fan groups rarely get inside looks into the financials of, of soccer clubs. Um, but yeah, for all for all the reasons that Josh just listed, it's, you know, there's reason to be optimistic. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's a scary thing. I mean, we, we at the beginning of it all of this, when we were talking about whether or not seasons would be played out or whatever, um, you know, the, the economics of everything were front and center. And we, we said, you know, clubs will go bust, communities will you know, no, no longer have soccer teams, not only in the U.S., but across across the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's it's not necessarily how much money you project. It's how much, you know, how smart you were as, as a club financially and, and you know, how su- sustainably you built yourself. So I don't know. Um, but, yeah, there, there's reasons to be optimistic, I suppose, about the Hounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is this is just a rumor at this point, but we have heard in rumblings that the USL is basically saying, like, look, if we can't have fans in the stadium next year, that we may not want to have a league um, or have a season, which um, you can understand. And I think just a week ago, I think there were a number of us that were sort of speculating just within, you know, amongst the whole Mongols crew of like, well, if we get into a situation again where there's the potential to not have a championship match, I think there's a couple of things that could be interesting there, right? If there's if there's potential to not have a championship match like we had this past season, does that potentially uh, allow the USL to entertain the idea of doing more of a European-style system where it's purely points-based? I think if you're going to do that, you'd have to have a more balanced schedule than what we obviously had this season. Um, but you could have sort of an East and West champion based purely on points, and you could use the excuse of COVID as like, well, we're giving this a shot, you know, to sort of drop the the playoff type setup. And that way you play as many games as you can. Whoever has the most points at the end, um, you know, short of a balanced schedule, that's sort of it. Um, I think that's one thing. 
but yeah, it's it's totally understandable that you know you have a lot of these teams where if you don't have you know the the TV revenue, which I'm sure is not any. I mean, we've talked to Tuffy, and Tuffy's like, it's not that significant. It's not really worth much. It's all about tickets. So if we go another season without having people in the stands, what happens to a number of these teams? So it is a bit concerning. Now we're we're announcing this at the same on the same day as uh, you know basically it came out that Pfizer just came out and said that their their vaccine has what ninety percent. Um, it's not performance rating. I don't know what the right word is, but it, it's ninety percent effective um, in in sort of uh, battling the Rona as Dave Chappelle put it on SNL. Um, so, which by the way, that was, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so this may all be moot. I mean, we may get to, to you know, May, which, uh, you know, originally some of the league officials were saying that they'd like to start the season in May as opposed to March to give a little bit of more time for vaccines and stuff to get out. But, you know, who knows how quickly a vaccine could be ruled out if there is one that is effective, yada, 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 yada. But there's just a lot of different variables that are going into whether or not, you know, we will have a season next year. Yeah, I think most likely what we're going to see is a delayed season, if anything. So maybe a shortened season delayed um, until uh, a vaccine hits and they can actually have uh, fans in the stands. And then from there, it will probably be like a regular season, just maybe truncated. Um, I think if we were going to do a European-style system, it would have been this season that we would have saw, saw that happen. Because uh, most likely, I mean, might be optimistic here, but most likely the end of the year next season, the end of the season, will be much more normal than the beginning of it. Um, so with all of that considered, I feel like, if anything, the championship, like, league match and all that kind of stuff, is it's more likely to happen next year. Yeah, we'd hope. So that's what we think about all of that. Obviously, it's a shame you hate to see any team fold, um, especially a team like Reno that was quasi-independent. You know, they had a partnership with, uh, I think, a couple MLS clubs. One for sure, and I think there were some rumblings of a second. But, um, but yeah, you, you hate to see it happen. So there are obviously a couple of other teams that are coming in. Oakland is going to be coming into the uh, Western Conference starting next season. Uh, to hopefully fill that spot. But again, you know, a team that's putting up points, especially this year, most in the USL, you hate to see them go. So, um, so that's a shame. But we had said, you know, sort of coming into this episode that we really wanted to spend some time talking about points, or points, sorry, uh, positional numbers, right? So a lot of times if you're watching a game, not so much in the USL, but if you're watching sort of, uh, you know, more heavily televised and watched games, you'll often hear announcers talk about, oh, you know, he's a proper number six or, you know, oh, he, he, he wants to play as an eight, but they're using him as a nine. And, and honestly, the number system that is used to describe positions in soccer is not the clearest that it could be. So we thought we'd take some time, just sort of talk through that a little bit, um, you know, explain some of the the, the highs, um, like the ones that you're going to hear most often, and talk about how it relates to the Hounds. Um, so to start us off, Kev, uh, Professor Kevin is going to give us a <laughs> history lesson on, uh, <laughs> on numbers and sort of how, uh, how they came into the game. So Kev, well, take, as I, take it away. As I was talking to you both before, when I originally said that yeah, I can maybe talk a little bit about this. Um, 
I really thought there was a more clear, <laughs> historical, documented thing of, of the numbering system, but uh, but it's kind of it's it's bits and pieces that I'm able to to scrap together, and it it does change so much. Um, so from my understanding, going way back to the invention of football, um, originally numbers weren't even required. You can play the game without numbers on the, on the back of your jersey, um, and then around like the nineteen 1920s, 1930s, um, I think mainly Scottish and Welsh and like, you know, UK teams um, started putting numbers in their jersey um, and just numbering them from, you know, oh, there's 11 players, so there's, you know, 1 to 11. That's Those are the numbers. Um, and uh, historically, the, the, this, the formation that was played early on, as crazy as it sounds, um, was a two-three-five, essentially like this weird W, where you had two two defenders, like three like you know defensive midfielders, and then just five attackers, and be, and mostly everyone played that system and because you had that system. When you write it down, you can see if you just go if you start from the goalkeeper and then go from defense to attack and just go left from left to right, then you get one for the goalkeeper two and three for the center backs and then four, five, six for the midfielders and then seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 for the, for the flat five uh, attackers. That's how it generally started. Um, looking back on, I mean, like some of the notes that I did take, um, you know, like what Uruguay, who surprisingly won two of the first four, four World Cups, which I wouldn't have guessed, um, like they adopted that same numbering system um, in that same formation. Um, and then later, if you like... This, this article that I read was focusing on Uruguay. Uruguay tweaks their formation. And as soon as you start seeing countries, teams, whatever, start jumping away from this, like, you know, across the board adopted 235 system and start doing different things with different formations, the numbers kind of start going crazy because, like, what do you do, right? If you're, if you're putting an extra person in defense, like, which number drops in? And so... Um, you know, for Uruguay, uh, you know, a few years later after they broke from that formation, um, you actually had the number six in defense and the number five was like the, you know, holding midfielder that we would come to think of as now. And, um, you know, different teams did different things. Uh, you know, the, the Swedish national team at one point essentially just went from they, when they played a 4-4-2, they kept the same idea and just went on the back line, you know, two, three, four, five seven, six, eight, nine, all in the midfield, and then their forwards were 10 and 11. Um, so you get this happening for, what, 50-odd years. Uh, yeah, it's about right, 50 or 60-odd years. Um, and then, actually, surprisingly enough, it, it wasn't until 1993 um, where in England the FA said, uh, like, all right, you can, you don't have to use numbers 1 to 11. You can do whatever the hell you want. And, uh, and it wasn't until 1993 you started seeing players like, you know, with 14 or 15 or 16 or 17. That, that wasn't entirely true because technically your subs bench had, were like 12 and 13 and 14. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah. So it was this constant mix of everything. Um, but but I think, Mike, you already have it in the notes, and I think we'll talk about it here. Um, I know, like, when I started watching soccer in, like, 2010-ish, um, is when I started like watching it on TV. At that time, um, 
the system everyone was playing was four two three one. That was a time when Mourinho and Benitez were the top managers in England, and they both played four two three one, and everyone played four two three one, and everyone wanted to be that number ten position, right in the middle, the creative person, and all. And so, at least I, personally, my understanding of the numbers grew from that formation. Um, and this will be the last thing I say that that formation generally. Um, yeah, you had, I mean, forgetting about the defenders temporarily, in the, in the two midfielders, you had the six, which was the more defensive midfielder. You had the eight, which was more the box-to-box midfielder. You had, and then that 10 was just in the middle of everything. They were the creative player. They were, you know, they were the attacking midfielder. They were ahead of the, uh, ahead of the midfield, but behind the striker. Um, and then, yeah, nine up front, 11 on the left, seven on the right. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of what you get. So that's, that's, a, that's a super quick rundown of, uh, of how numbers evolved and changed over the course of the soccer footballing history. You will be quizzed about this later. Literally, there is going to be a quiz later. So <laughs> brace yourself. But yeah, as Kevin said, so just to sort of lay it out, the, the way it, it typically goes from sort of back to front is typically your keeper is your number one. Um, and then as you sort of go across the back, <clears throat> this is where it gets a little bit confusing. Your right fullback is a two, your left fullback is a three, and then your center backs are four and five, which if it made sense, you would go like one, two, three, four, five, across the back. But that's not how it works. Four and five. But like I said, it, it, it kind of, the birth of that was historically you had two defenders. Like right. so, it was just one, and then two, three, and then. Which can four, you five, imagine six. playing a team right now that like ran with just two defenders and five forwards? I mean, <laughs> like City, like City a few a few years ago, kind of did it. I mean, their fullbacks pushed so high. Yeah, you're essentially just playing with two defenders and a holding midfielder. Like, and, I would love so, to see. Yeah. yeah, I would yeah. love to see like a uh, a game where people played like those type of formations, yeah. the, like just a whole game with those formations. See what it would be like. It would yeah. be super. I bet you it wouldn't work because the the players would be like falling into good formation instead of that formation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just automatically be like, no, this is stupid. Let's. <laughs> yeah. So you figure again. One is your keeper. You know, two through five are are sort of your four across the back and then you get in your midfielders right you have your six as kevin mentioned your sort of defending midfielder your holding midfielder then you have eight is your central box to box midfielder um 10 is your attacking midfielder or your playmaker you have 11 as your left midfielder your winger and you have seven as your right midfielder which is this is where it all gets a little bit crazy and then you have number nine is your striker so ideally like we said you would just sort of have like you know one through nine and it would make sense numerically honestly the ones you know like kevin referenced that that you're gonna hear the most about typically on any broadcast is you'll hear about a number six which is your defending midfielder, your eight, which is your central box-to-box midfielder, your 10, which is sort of the attacking midfielder, the playmaker, and your number nine, your striker. So, um, Josh. Yeah, so I feel like I only ever hear about number 10. Like, I, I don't, like, maybe maybe nine, I hear that sometimes. But honestly, I, I like, going into this, before doing any of this research or looking anything up, 
I honestly had only ever heard like I knew like a goalkeeper was usually like a zero or a one, mm-hmm. and then you know you have low numbers in the back and high numbers up front, and that number ten was like a stationary position, like a position yeah. that I could actually you know oh he's the playmaker number ten, yeah, and that was that was it. I, I'm kind of surprised to see that there is like legit like setups for like who a left one and a right one yeah. and like all that kind of stuff is. Yeah, I mean the way that like yeah. It, because of all the formation changes, yeah, I mean, the only things that generally persisted were the 6, 10, 8, I suppose, but even less so than the 6 and 10. And even the 9, because the 9 was always kind of assumed, like, well, it's the forwards, whatever. And so, I, I mean, I looking up, I, I watched interviews from Johan Cruyff, um, the great Dutch player. He was a Barcelona manager, and he wanted to do a bunch of stuff. And, yeah, he'll reference, like, the 10 as this – just position that it's not as in a formation it's formation agnostic you know the six the ten even the eight and the nine they're kind of formation agnostic you can you can have a six in a lot of different systems you can have a ten in a lot of different systems um but like no one's going to be like i like the seven or like it's all right whatever (laughs) like so it is weird how i think i think because you know the tactical evolution of of the game allowed for just a, a huge array of of formations a lot of numbers fell by the wayside and became meaningless but there, there are certain numbers that are associated with certain jobs i'll say not even necessarily positions but certain jobs on the field and yeah the six being the defensive you know kind of bulldozer and 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 the 10 being the playmaker those those like representations and symbols definitely persisted even in the midst of formation changes and I think specifically the six and eight, you'll often hear, you won't necessarily hear coaches or announcers talk about it, but you might hear the players talk about it. So like, for example, when Ross Barkley was brought into Aston Villa, there was talk of like, well, is he going to play as, you know, like a number 10 or is he more of, you know, a number eight? And Ross himself was like, yo, you know, if I had my choice, I'm, I'm more of a number eight. You know, I, I, you know, I don't really want to be a number six. And when you hear that, you're just kind of like, what are you talking about? But then when you start to put it together, okay, eight is the central box to box, you know, whereas six is more, you hang back a little bit. You're, you're more of the defensive midfielder. You're not really getting into the attack a lot. Um, so that's that's where you'll hear some of those numbers. Just out of curiosity, Kev, something that I I didn't do a ton of research on this, but you know, oftentimes if you have a team that plays with sort of two defending midfielders, like you can essentially consider having like two sixes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, it, that's and definitely like how they played. So I'm trying to think of modern examples. Uh, well, let's let's stay with the Hounds. Um, for those of you who have hung around long enough with with the Hounds, if you remember like Danny Earls, mm-hmm. um, let's let's say he was still in the team, and let's say you were playing, let's say you're playing Vonky Zeal in the midfield as well. If you're playing Vonky Zeal along Danny Earls and like a you know a midfield or whatever, you could say like they're both number six, like they're both they're two number sixes, like they're there to have good positional play and and break up you know, the opponent's attack, they're not really going to be, they're not going to try to, you know, do a defense splitting, you know, through ball to, to Nico Brett or, or, you know, Dos Santos to run on to. They're there to break up play. So yeah, you can definitely have two number sixes, but even still, even if you're playing like two more defensively, you have players 
I guess you could, you could say Canardo Forbes playing in that role. Positionally, you could think of him as a number six, but he, he he's a he's a playmaker in the defense. Yeah, you know, so it's this weird thing that happens. Like, would you call Canardo Forbes your classical six? Not really. I mean, positionally, he, sometimes he plays there in certain systems, but I think for me, well, and and it, it changes at, at at different levels. I think now in 2020, if you're a world class top team, yeah, you want your six to do everything like to break up play to start play to initiate play i mean a lot another another term for the for the six is like the pivot right like where everything pivots on them where they link defense to attack and they start the play and um so yeah it's you, you and that's it's and it's not just number six like you can have two number eights you can have two you can hell you can have two tens like arguably pep guardiola in a four four three like plays a six and two tens like like that you know attacking and everything so yeah you can you can have multiples of all these numbers so we just gave an example of some sixes for the hounds the eight the central box-to-box midfielder the fact that it uses central in there you know would you consider danny griffin and and robbie mertz to be eights or do you see them more as sort of the I don't know, the 11s and the 7s, the attacking midfielders, where do they sort of fit in? Do they fit into this? Or are they just sort of outside the realm of these numbers? I, don't I mean, for, for, for me, when, you, when in the middle of the season, when it was Ryan James, Danny Griffin, and Robbie Mertz, um, I, I mean, all of them arguably play as like three number eights, in my opinion. All of them are very high energy and get up and down the field. And none of them, I would say Velarde is a 10. Velarde wants to get on the ball and express himself and kind of find the pass and get forward and score more goals and everything. Whereas like Mertz and Griffin and and Ryan James, they run for days. They get up and down. They can contribute to the attack, sure. Um, But their main, you know, their main goal in that formation is to make sure everything is running properly and to, to be the oil in the system that's kind of how i see so yeah i would say danny griffin for sure i mean there are times robbie mertz would play and you know in a system that where he was more forward and more attacking responsibility was put onto him um but when he plays in the midfield yeah i would say he's he's a good example of a number eight for me that's that's my opinion so it's kind of weird because like i'm coming out from all this like completely oblivious to all these type of numbers situation and i would have originally thought that Mertz especially was like a kind of like wanting to be a 10 or like that's aspirations to be a 10 um I didn't realize that it kind of feels like an eight is you know someone who is almost a 10 but not quite so <laughs> is that like not to like put it down but it's like you know it's kind of like oh you're not quite ready to be a 10 you can be an eight <laughs> <laughs> well we had this conversation off air do in in what the three years that Lily's been here, I don't know if we've seen a number ten in a Lily's. We've been calling for a number ten, like the creative playmaker, and we were trying to think back to saying, like, yeah. you know, what what was the last ten that the Hounds have had, and I think somebody threw out Rob Vincent's name potentially, um, but even at that, I, he almost felt like, like an eight. Okay. So what's what's Forbes? It's good. I mean, that's I I think Forbes 
has the skill set and wants to play the game in a mold that is the most number 10 we have. I agree with That's that, what Josh. I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like that was our 10, and I don't know. I, I mean, what was Kevin Kerr then? Kevin Kerr wasn't really a 10, but was he? <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm going to be, I feel like I'm going to be a little harsh on. Let's let's um, keep in mind Kevin hates oh, Kevin, you, but go ahead. You <laughs> being harsh on Kevin Kerr, that, I don't think that's possible, Kevin. I, th- <laughs> I, think, I think Kerr was like, in an ideal world, I think Kerr was a 10, but I don't know. 10s are weird, right? You almost need to build a system that just revolves around them. Like that, like your ten generally is like your most skilled player, and they're the ones who creates all the chances. And so, and in and, and, and some ways, they're seen as like a luxury player because they're just kind of there to hang out and like create chances or whatever. I never thought Kerr was that clinical with like chance creation and goals, and so because of it, he got like shifted out to the right or to the left. So he kind of became like this. He he almost came, became like a wide playmaker because he didn't have the speed of like a Francois or anything, and so he couldn't just beat his player one on one for for pace. He couldn't just knock it past him and beat him. Kerr, you know, wanted the ball at his feet and look up and try to find crosses or try to find passes or try to get in the box, but he generally did it from wide areas and from from what I you know saw in, in the latter day of his career. Yeah, so your ten is typically like you know your Messi, your KDB. Um, Kev, does Liverpool play with a 10? No, not under Klopp, no. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Klopp has been quoted saying, uh, <laughs> the Gagan press is the best number 10 in football, um, because it creates, you know, more <laughs> chances than a number 10 could ever, uh, do. Um, so, no. He, he did- smiles really big. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't play with the 10 and to be honest it's, it's a really interesting conversation in modern day football i don't think lily plays with a 10 either and i think we're kind of in this like so when i when i started watching on tv like 10 years ago 10s were kind of all over the place and everyone wanted to be a 10 because it was kind of seen as this flashy glory position where you do all the cool stuff you do all the fun stuff you create all the chances um now we're in this era where kind of like system is king um and it's all about like patterns and passing movements and just you know you you play the ball here and then you have to move there and you do this and you do that and so it's it's much more of a systematized approach where i think historically it's like if you're number 10 on a bad day you didn't win whereas like now you can't rely on that it's like no we can't rely on if this person has a bad day we lose we're going to rely on this system will work. This system will create chances. We just play within this system and, and we'll go from there. I think that, I think that's how Lily generally ideally sets up. Um, you know, he's, he's even been quoted saying, yeah, you know, he doesn't want to be too reliant on anyone because then it's easy to, to, you know, mark that person out of the game. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so if there's not really a 10 in our system, like our, do we just have strikers then? Like, is it, I guess, midfield and then strikers? I mean, would we consider... Like, usually mm, we saw a lot where he would have two uh, forwards mm-hmm. uh, in the formation. Are, are, are they both strikers in this? Are they both number nines? Or is one forward not really a striker? Because that's something I feel like a lot of people get confused with is the, the term forward and the term striker. Are they interchangeable? For me, strikers are like 
poachers. They they have their only interest is getting as close to the opposition goal as possible, staying in the box and just like staying close to the net and just like you know, like being on the end of crosses or being on the end of tap-ins. Like they don't want to drop back and link play. They don't want to um, so in that sense, like I Nico like, Brett. I was just saying Nico. Nico, Nico, was, Nico a was a good striker. Do, Dos Santos wants to be involved, I would say, like too, like not too much, but he, Dos Santos wants to be involved too much where I think he can no longer be called a striker. Like Dos Santos is this weird modern-day thing where, is yeah, he, t- he, he has like the physique and goals. I was going to say, he has the physique and goal-scoring hmm. prowess of like a striker or a nine, but he, he has the technical ability, too, to link play as a 10. So, yeah, he's, I would say Dos Santos is kind of this weird hybrid. Um, where, and, and, then, but to, and then to finish off the thing, like forwards, they're weird. I mean, now you have like you know, wide forwards or whatever. Um, I'm, I can't really think of – like I would say Francois – if like was probably a like a forward because he wasn't like he wasn't really like defense like he he didn't have a lot of defensive responsibilities but he wasn't like right in the middle of the field you know eyes looking at the opposition goalkeeper just trying to score Francois was doing kind of other things so yeah forwards are these kind of weird they could be a lot of different things strikers for me are are your Nico Bretts your you know your Jamie Vardy's um you know your Calvert Lewins. Uh, th- those to me are strikers. I, so something that's not in the agenda. So I don't know if we have an answer to this or not. But I often will hear you have a nine, and then you have a false nine. What, do, <laughs> what does it mean whenever you throw the false in front of a number? I mean, it's arguable. So uh, Spanish and Italian and like even German and South American, a lot of them have, I would say, better descriptors for certain roles. Um, and like Americans and, and, and English, like news media, were quite bad at describing roles and everything. Um, so I'm probably doing it false justice. But from my understanding, the false line became popular um, with Guardiola and Barcelona when he played without a recognized, like, strike they're like no like wait they don't have a forward like what are they doing like they're just there's a ton of midfielders what are they like <laughs> like and that was kind of like the and everyone said well like he's kind of in the middle of like of the midfield so he's he's kind of like a nine he's like he's a false nine essentially the idea of a false nine is um they want to drop off and get involved with the midfield they want to pass a lot like you know usually strikers or number nines they'll get five six seven touches in a game you know false nines like they want to get on the ball they they want to be involved they want to play they want to pass they want to create chances and yeah that's kind of the the idea of false nines i laugh because there's a joke saying like there's not really a false nine there's just bad number nines like there's just bad strikers <laughs> they just don't play well I was going to go the opposite direction of that. I was going to say that a false nine is essentially a uh, a striker who's not greedy, who's not going to take the shot. Yeah. Person to pass to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas a striker is usually like, no, I'm taking the shot. I don't care if I have a, a worth a worse uh, you know shot at the goal. I'm still going to take it. Yeah. Kev, would you consider like I I hate to keep bringing this back to Liverpool, but I think a lot of people would recognize you know when you've got. Mane and and Firmino and Salah. I mean, would you consider them as nines, or would you consider them more like false nines? I I mean, it's the system that they play. It is it is really weird. I w- I would say Liverpool don't play with a nine. Um, when Firmino plays, 
he fits into this like false 90 thing because Firmino drops off so much. At times, it looks like we're kind of playing with what I would say is two forwards with Mane and Salah because not, neither of them are too central. They're, they're both kind of, they stay out a bit wide, but they're kind of like wide forwards that cut in and, and want to, you know, get shots off in that way. So for Liverpool, I would say, yeah, Firmino is kind of like a false nine because he wants to drop off so much. And that creates space for the diagonal runs for Mane and Salah to go forward. But yeah, I wouldn't say Mane and Salah are nines either. They, they're, they're <laughs> the, the buzzword term of like the past five years, like inside forwards, right? They like, they're not wingers. Wingers want to just like get wide, use their pace and throw in crosses and throw in crosses and throw in crosses. Inside forwards, you know, usually, like usually if you're a right winger, you're right footed. And you want to get to the touchline and put in a cross. Um, if you're a right inside forward, usually you're left-footed because you want to cut inside and then take a shot on your stronger foot. Um, that's so. Yeah, I would, I would call Mane and Salah forwards, and Firmino kind of a false nine-ish. Sometimes he's a striker, but false nine-ish. Yeah, I was trying to think of the most recognizable striker. You know, but I think the most recognizable striker in my mind from the Hounds history most recent history, like you said, was Nico Brett. And then I was trying to think, even in England, you know, I, my first guess was going to be like Harry Kane, but Harry Kane has been dropping back a lot more recently. So I think Jamie Vardy is probably that one. Um, That's the case for me too. And honestly, I think Calvert-Lewin at yeah. Everton, I think he's yeah. a, yeah, he's a really good number nine. Yeah. So that's, I, that's, I would say James too is is probably an example at, at Everton. Is probably a ten, but he doesn't play centrally. Like he's he is the creative force, but I think right now Ancelotti has him a little bit out on the side or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, Villa is the same way because I know you pay so much close attention to them, Kev. That Ollie I mean, I know Wa- I know Ollie Villa I, is their striker. I mean, yeah. he's, he definitely plays at the number nine, and Grealish is I would say their number ten, but he plays out left. He starts out wide and stays out wide, so it's not really almost everything flows through him, but it's it's not from a central position. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's a little bit about numbers. Um, Guys, real quick, I just wanted to run through here some some of the hounds from this past year, and let's see if we can assign numbers to them. We already talked about some of this, but uh, Tommy V, Josh, if you had to give Tommy V a number, what are you what are you giving I mean, him? I I guess is that an eight? <laughs> Am I failing this quiz? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it. I would say if if Tommy V was playing in the midfield, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but it, but if, if I think if he's in if he's in the back line, I don't probably know. four or five, yeah, something like that. This I mean, there's a lot of these right. we won't have answers for. Kenny Forbes is the big question. I mean, we talked about this a little bit. Like, is he the ten? Because it felt yeah. like he was more playing kind of like a six towards the end of the season. He was that pivot, Kev, like you said, like everything flowed through him. But he's also like. He's the one unlocking passes into the forwards or into the attacking midfielder. So, is he like a sixteen? Like you put them together? I don't know. Like it's, <laughs> it's he's an enigma. And we talked a little bit. Wait, would he, would he be a six or would he be an eight though? Because he's more forward than a six, I would say. Like if anything, he might be a mix between an eight and a ten. Is my assumption there? But I'm going to say ten just because I feel like that's as close as we're going to get to a ten. So I'm I'm sticking to hit. Did the Hounds play with a six this year? Like a defending midfielder? 
It's not a Danny. You mentioned Danny Earls. Like Danny Earls right. was the most clear cut to me. Like, yep, yeah. he's a six. He's he's gonna break your knees. You. <laughs> I would say you could make an argument when Forbes was hurt and Von, and Ryan James was playing in the middle of defense. Maybe he acted like a six. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Ryan James being six. But no, I, I like I like Josh's call around Kenny. Yeah, being maybe more of a hybrid between like an eight and a 10. Yeah. And this is look, this is how like, for me, this is how it works. Like it's so rare to have like prototypical perfect players that fit perfect numbering right. thing. It's just like, it's, there's too much stuff that happens these days in, in the game to like just pigeonhole a player saying like, you're a 10, you're a six. And yeah. we already said Robbie was probably about an eight. I just completely disregarded what you said, Cap. We're just going to keep That's giving fine. numbers to people. Yeah. <laughs> we said Robbie's about eight. Mensa. Would we call Mensa a, a nine? Mensa is an interesting one. I mean, I, I, he's definitely, I would say he's a forward. He is a forward. He's, if we're going to give him a number, he's a nine. But I, yeah, I, I don't consider him striker yeah, yeah. maybe an 11 it's as 11 for those keeping score at home is a left midfielder slash winger that's one of those rare ones that you don't hear a lot about maybe the big one that that we touched on is duba if you had to if you had to assign a number to duba what do you what are you giving him kev yeah he's really weird it, you know in a weird way god he I think he wants to be a 10 so bad. He took the number 10 this year for his yeah. jersey. I know. Like, and yeah. I and I think he he wants to play like that so bad, but it's like he get, like, he almost gets because he gets the highest proportion of like goals in our team like I can't call him a 10. Like I kind of have to call him a 9. <laughs> so that's kind of my feelings on DeSantis. Josh. Yeah, I I could I could see that. I could see a uh, you know, I'll go with a a Kevin answer here a uh, 9.5. <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, it's that's it's a tricky one, but it just, also. I I was gonna say just to throw in just to get a num, another number in there, I would say maybe Francois is like a seven. Where like we don't have a lot of sevens, we can't talk a lot about sevens. A lot of sevens maybe don't even play these days, but Francois was I think a really good example of someone who is yeah. clearly a wide player, but is also very attacking and you know, yeah. So I would I would say he's a seven. So, obviously, there's a lot of variability into all of this. I think that, especially anytime you hear numbers, people look for clear-cut explanations of like, oh, well, if you say that this is what they are, this is what they are. And what we're discussing here is that, nope, that's not really the case. In, in summary, Mike, if you were playing soccer and I was the manager, ha, 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 um, and I, was, I, I would say, oh, go play, uh, you know, you're, you're, go play a six. Like, what, in your mind, what is that? I would be a holding midfielder. I'd basically, so I'd sit in front of the defense and my yeah. job would be to cut off passes and basically yeah. start the attack from the midfield. Right. Yeah. And Josh, I said, all right, you're playing 10. Where would you go on the field and what would you do? Like forward mid and yeah. try to like, you know, pass the ball around, pretty much be, yeah, the outlet. Yeah. Sweet. There we go. That's all you need to know. Kev, if I said you were a seven, where would you go? <laughs> I would be... I always think of the actual numbers of the players who wear them, like Beckham and Ronaldo. They want to play wide, but they also want to be flashy and score goals. So, uh, yeah, either on the right or left, mostly on the right, and uh, look to look to swing in crosses for Josh. 
I'm more of a number 13, 14. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bench, right? <laughs> First sub. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, let's go second. <laughs> Uh, there we well, go. We just boxed all the numbers. I was going to say, we were hoping to make this a short episode, and here we are 40 minutes in. Um, that uh, We just can't do short episodes. So um, hopefully, you know, you learned a little something. I know I learned a little something just sort of looking at this. Um, but uh, that's that's how the numbers work. Or, if you know, depending on how you're interpreting this, don't work because they don't really apply to anything. But, you know, if you are sitting there watching a game with somebody who may not be familiar with soccer and they mention, you know, a 10 or an 8 or a 9, you can look intelligent and be like, I know what that means. No, look, nine, that's a striker. He's not a striker. He's not a striker. He's not a number 9. He's a false 9. And then, like, really <laughs> blow people's minds. Yeah, if you just want to sound cool, just put false in front of anything. <laughs> he's a false 7. Um, <laughs> he's a false 1. He's a that's bad right. goalkeeper. He's, a bad... <laughs> he's no take backs, number 5. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So let us know what you think about the show. Obviously, we have other stuff that we're going to be talking about, digging in a little bit more, especially with, you know, I don't want to say the relative uncertainty about what's going to happen next season. We've talked a little bit about how the season may not start until May when we're used to it starting in March. So we put out a poll. Um, our Patreon followers have uh, shared their thoughts. If you haven't done that yet or if you're not a Patreon follower, head over to mongols.com, click on the supporter show, um and uh, and take the poll let us know what you think let us know what you think we should talk about um there's a lot of great topics in there some people just want us to talk about like our day which again always feels so weird to me um but uh you know so, people need outlets for different reasons and different things so i'm not opposed to doing that um so thank you for listening uh thank you for continuing to support the show um, like I mentioned, go to mongols.com, click on support the show to become a Patreon follower. This is your weekly reminder, Black Lives Matter. Go get the Steel Army shirt, love Pittsburgh, hate racism, Black Lives Matter, over at steelarmy.com. As a reminder to wear your mask, um, we are proudly supported by Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike, any squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at icarusfc.com. Real quick, I'm going to stop this here for those who like listen through all of this. Um, go check out the latest, uh, I don't even just the latest, but the most recent Soccer Better podcasts. Laura Ellen and Liz have been doing an amazing job over there and uh, hearing <laughs> hearing myself read these ads at the end made me think about it. Their most recent one talked about um, how to grow basically uh, the, the following of a team based on some studies that they read. And it was extremely fascinating. And some of the ideas I think you could literally just lift from what they talked about and implement for the hounds and it would make a huge difference. So go check that out. Soccer better. It's on all of the, you know, all the different podcast players. Um, you will not regret it. Uh, looking for more great USL news, head over to the new BGN.FM where we've got over a hundred fans that are writing and podcasting about the beautiful game. We are breaking news there left and right before other publications, which is kind of crazy. Um, but that just goes to show you what dedicated fans could do. So go check that out at BGN.FM. Otherwise, thanks everybody. We will talk to you very, very soon. Cheers. Cheers. Later. <laughs>